Let me encourage you to take your copy of the scriptures or your handy-dandy Acts scripture journal and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to be looking at verses 32 through 41. Acts chapter 2, 32 through 41. I failed to mention this earlier, but I do want to highlight it. If this, if you're new to West Franklin, right after this service, we are having a new here fellowship. It is to my right, your left, right outside these doors and the, uh, across the hall in the lobby there. You can't miss it, but I would love to meet you. If you've got some questions about the church, it's a good time time for that. But it's just a brief new here fellowship right after, right after this service. So I'd love to officially meet you and have a conversation with you. Acts chapter 2. 32 through 41, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of God's word. Let's read these incredible verses together. Hope you packed a lunch because there's about 10 sermons in Acts chapter 2. Sort of kidding. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, Be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. Jesus, thank you for sending your spirit on the day of Pentecost. May there be special manifestations, special measures of it scattered throughout the world. But may we as believers know that (laughs) we have your spirit. And may we not ever take it for granted. Speak to our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. You know probably that if you live in an agricultural society, you're going to wake up to roosters crowing. It's just part of it. When there are farm animals and chickens are involved, you're going to wake up to roosters Crowing. Even in my neighborhood, I live in Thompson Station and right outside the uh, boundaries of my neighborhood where I walk early in the mornings, if I'm, at, if I'm walking at, right, at the right time, there's this house that has farm animals and there's a rooster screaming his little lungs out, letting the world know that he's awake and everybody else should be too. how things go when you live in an agricultural society every morning you just know you're going to wake up to roosters crowing I wonder what Peter thought every morning when he heard roosters crowing (laughs) every day 
You say, well, what about, why does it matter what Peter thought? Well, Peter, by the way, I should have said this before I read it, was the one preaching this sermon in Acts 2. But if you'll recall, a rooster represented to Peter failure. The night Jesus was arrested, he said to Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny knowing me three times. Peter denied that and said, uh-uh, not me. Well, sure enough, Jesus gets arrested. Things go crazy. Peter denies knowing Jesus, not once, not twice, but just as Jesus said, three times. And the third time, cock-a-doodle-doo. <laughs> I don't know why I just said that. I should have just said rooster crowed. And he knew. Failure. He rejected Christ. He denied knowing Jesus. And it wasn't just one morning. You, as I said, in agricultural society, you hear a rooster crowing every morning. I wonder what Peter thought in the mornings when he woke up to a rooster crowing. I wonder what flooded his head. I wonder what Peter thought every time he smelled a charcoal fire. When I smell a charcoal fire, I think burgers. Once again, in my neighborhood, most more often than not, when I walk my dog late in the afternoons with my wife, I will smell someone cooking something over a charcoal fire. I wonder what Peter thought when he smelt charcoal fire. It's a distinct smell. It's a glorious smell to me. You can't contain it. It's there. You say, well, why does it matter about what Peter thought about a charcoal fire? Did you know one, if not all of those rejections where he denied knowing Jesus were, while he was warming himself over a charcoal fire? And then the Bible tells us a couple days after Jesus was raised from the dead, the resurrected Jesus prepared breakfast over a charcoal fire. And up walks Peter. Jesus and Peter hadn't, hadn't uh, duked it out yet. Jesus knew Peter had denied him. Peter knew Jesus knew that Peter had denied him, and they hadn't resolved that tension yet. And here comes Peter from a night of fishing up on the shore, and he smells the charcoal fire, which had to have been a little awkward for him. He knows Jesus knows. Jesus knows that he knows that he knows that. You know what I'm trying to say. What's Jesus going to say? As they stand over a charcoal fire about an hour after the rooster had crowed that morning. What, what's Jesus going to say to Peter? How dare you? Is that what he's going to say? You should be ashamed. I told you you would do that. Is that how Jesus is? Jesus restored him. Jesus forgave him. Jesus gave him mission and a purpose. Wes Franklin a Jesus who took on condemnation himself can't condemn. A Jesus who was crucified and then resurrected comes out of the tomb. You say, how, how is he going to treat those who reject him? He accepts them because he took their rejection for them. Wes Franklin, you can't preach grace. You can't proclaim grace. You can't offer forgiveness unless... You You've experienced it. 
You can't help someone understand the grace and forgiveness of Jesus unless it's experience, you've experienced it. I wonder what Peter thought every morning when he heard those dead burn roosters crowing. I wonder what Peter thought when he approached and smelt the, the, the smoke from a charcoal fire. I hope he smelt and heard grace. I rejected him over that charcoal fire. I, I rejected him, and then I heard the rooster crow, but Jesus forgave me. Jesus restored me. Jesus said, I want you to take this message to my people. Let them know they are forgiven. I hope that's what he thought. You can't preach grace unless you've experienced grace. You can't offer forgiveness for someone. You can't deliver the goods of the gospel unless you understand the glorious good news of the gospel. Let's fast forward that moment on the beach where Jesus cooked the breakfast over charcoal. Let's fast forward about 40 or so days. Acts. Peter and about 120 other believers are in the upper room doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. It's one of the first times I could say that about the disciples. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, wait, don't go anywhere until the Spirit comes. And we saw last couple of weeks that they went into the upper room and they were waiting for the Spirit of God to come. Well, you turn the page to Acts chapter 2, and we've just been singing about it, and the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. It's called the day of Pentecost. Fiftieth day is what Pentecost means. Fiftieth, penta. The day of Pentecost. It just so happened that Pentecost was also, 50th day after Passover, it just so happened that, that Pentecost was also known as Festival of Harvests. When people, Israelites from all over, speaking different languages, but Israelites from all over were gathered to celebrate the harvest of the agricultural society. If you live in an agricultural society, you love the festival of harvest because you get to celebrate God's faithfulness and what he's done and providing once again. Isn't it just like God to send his spirit on harvest Sunday or whatever day it was? The Bible tells us that God sent his Holy Spirit, just like Jesus said he would, and it fell on that 120 <laughs> ragtag group of believers. The Bible says it, it, it fell like, like tongues of fire, which I really don't have categories for, to be quite honest with you. But I do know that the Bible says that on these groups of believers, and one of them being Peter, the forgiven Peter, the one who heard the rooster crow that morning and perhaps was smelling some charcoal fire, received the Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that they all began to speak in different languages. Why? Because people were there from different languages. And they were declaring, declaring the works of God so that everyone could understand the works of God being proclaimed. If you go back centuries earlier, there was a tower, Tower of Babel, where they were trying to get to God on their own. You remember that story? And what did God do to mess it up? He gave them different languages so they couldn't communicate. Now he's reversing it. You can't get to God. God comes to you. And they're, giving the they're given the ability to speak in a particular language so that everyone there 
could understand the works of God. Well, just about every work of God gets criticized. You know that, right? If you know what's been going on in Asbury, don't get, don't get on Twitter. <laughs> Obviously, you're more holy than I am. Don't have Twitter. You've heard of what's going on in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury University and other universities. I don't know if it's real. It appears it is. It appears wonderful, beautiful. May it be. But don't get on social media. Criticize. Well, the same thing happened in Acts 2. When you get a group of podunk people speaking in a particular language that they didn't know before and the Spirit of God coming on you, you're going to have some people murmuring. They said, they're just drunk. Baptists making fun of the Episcopals. They're just drunk. Nine in the morning. If you're drunk at nine in the morning, that's bad. If somebody thinks you might be drunk at nine in the morning, they don't think very highly of you. We ain't never seen anything like this. They must be drunk. And then something breathtaking happens. The empowered, forgiven, grace-filled, here's a rooster crowing every morning and smells charcoal all the time, Peter stands up to preach. Filled with the Spirit of God. And man, does he preach. The one who just a month and a half earlier denied knowing Jesus three different times. The one who had a foot-shaped mouth as you read the Gospels. He always stuck his foot in his mouth. That one who misunderstood over and over and over. The Bible tells us in Acts 2, stands up to preach. And he knows his audience Because he goes back to Joel. Who goes to Joel? Peter did. And Peter starts giving an explanation, defending the events that's happening, uh, uh, arguing for what's happening. He goes, do you remember the prophet Joel? He knows his audience are Israel. It's the Jews. They would have known the prophet Joel. And he quotes Joel. And he says, don't you know, this is what they said. This is what Joel said would happen. And we're living in these days. The Spirit of God is being poured out. And then, and then he goes a step further and he quotes the Psalms. Again, he knows his audience. And he quotes Psalm 16 at length, uh, uh, a Psalm of David showing, arguing, persuading this Jesus, this Jesus, he died, was buried. God raised him from the dead. Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. And he argues for this and he defends it and he explains the events that that have gone on. And then right after he quotes Psalm 16 a second time, he wraps up his case. Incredible sermon. And I read it a few minutes ago, but look at it again if your Bibles are open to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Ouch. He didn't read how to win friends and influence people. Oh, by the way... The guy you killed, he's God and Messiah. And he's not dead anymore. He's alive. 
By the way, amazing things happen when you live forgiven, when you live under the grace of God and you're empowered by the Spirit of God. Amazing things happen. Something that happens to you. It's not something you work up. You do know that life with God is what happens to you. It's not something you do. It's what you receive from God. He wraps up his sermon by saying, you killed him. And he's alive. Okay. By the way, the Spirit of God always points to, reveals Jesus. The Spirit of God will always reveal the truth and reality of Jesus the Christ. If, if something's done in the name of the Spirit of God that doesn't point to Jesus, it's not of the Spirit. You hear me? If you don't believe me, read John 14, 15, and 16 later. But that's exactly what Peter's doing here. And Peter wraps up his sermon. Before I close for the day, ladies and gentlemen, this Jesus whom I've just shown you from Scripture, you killed, is alive. He's Messiah and Lord. Lord and Messiah. Not just Lord, not just Savior. Savior and Lord. Lord and Savior. You killed him. Have a nice day. Well, his sermon was effective. I've been praying for this kind of response ever since I've been here for eight years. I got nothing. But no, I'm just kidding. But these people on this day of Pentecost, look, look, what, look what the Scripture says, verse, verse 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? I guess so. The guy you killed, he rose from the dead. You know what I'd want to do? Hide. Can you imagine accusing someone, they, they go to jail, accusing someone wrongly, they go to jail, they're in jail for 10 years, finally the truth comes out and they get out of jail and you're the one that accused them wrongly, what are you going to do? Brothers, what do, we, what do we do? We killed the Messiah and he's alive. He's not in a tomb somewhere, he's alive. What do we do, Peter? You're cut to the heart, what do we do? What does someone who walks in forgiveness and grace do? What's Peter's response going to be? Is he going to lower the wood? Is he going to drop the hammer? You killed the Messiah. You're going down. What does someone do who's reminded of where he is every morning because of a rooster crowing? What does someone do who's reminded of his restoration every time he smells a charcoal fire? How is Peter going to respond? What shall we do? Maybe you're here this morning and you've spent a lot of your life rejecting God and you're wondering, what should I do? What does the apostle say? Verse 38, Peter replied, repent 
and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What do we do, Peter? He's going to get us. You repent, you turn. Peter says, you turn, you turn from your current understanding of life. You turn from your, from your thoughts, your, your wrong thoughts about Jesus, and you turn to him. You turn to Jesus. You, you, you know they got to be thinking, I don't know if I want to. I, I, I put him on the cross. You got you to turn to him. And you got to be baptized. What do you, what do you mean baptized? You got to be buried. Your, your old self has got to die. You've got to be done with your old self and say, it's over. I can't do it anymore. So the resurrected Jesus can raise you from the dead and, and give you new life. You've got you've to turn. You've got to die to that self and be, be, be resurrected by Jesus. Well, what do I get for the forgiveness of your sins? What do you say? What does God do to someone who rejects him, who crucifies him, who mocks him, who beats him, who ridicules him? He says, your sins are forgiven. But what about the murder? That murder was for your salvation. What about the abandonment? Jesus was abandoned, so you would never have to be. But we got to make it right. Jesus made it right. It's not anything you can do. It's believing that what Jesus did was enough. How do you respond when someone says, what should I do? I've only done everything wrong against the Messiah. You respond to the Spirit's prompting and turn to Jesus and your sins will be forgiven. That's incredible news. If you're wanting to know how God treats those who mock him, reject him, abandon him, ignore him, neglect him, verse 38 tells us, turn to Jesus and be forgiven and free. That's incredible. Wes Franklin, you can't proclaim grace unless you're walking in it. You can't offer forgiveness like this unless it's part of your life. You can't. Peter got to hear a rooster crowing every morning and smell a charcoal fire all the time, reminding him of his new life in Christ. That was only because of the grace of God. In summer of 2015, there was a 21-year-old white male who went and sat in the back of a very famous African-American church known as Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. He attended a Bible study on Wednesday night. His name was Dylan Roof. Many of you remember the story. It's hard to believe it's been almost eight years ago. But he sat through the entire Bible study, welcomed Found out later he almost didn't do what he did because he, they were so nice to him. But at the end of the Bible study, Dylan Roof opened fire, killing nine of the parishioners there in that AME church, Charleston, South Carolina. 
One of those was the pastor of the church. Of course, it made news, as it should. Something like that, so horrific, should never happen. And it made news. But what made news alongside of it? Almost, almost just as much headline news as this horrific event was what happened in the courtroom. Headline news among all the secular news outlets. I went back and looked. All the secular news outlets that you can imagine had this headline or something similar. Victims' family members forgive Ruth. (laughs) It's nuts. One of the daughters of the victims actually said this in court. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you, and I'll have mercy on you. I'll pray God to have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. But God forgives you, and I forgive you. That's insane to me. I did a little digging. The pastor, Clementa Pinckney is his name was called to gospel ministry at age 13, and he believed the Spirit of God said to him, you must preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from what I read, that's all he ever did. Every time he got with his parishioners, the rooster crowed. Every time he got with his people, the smell of charcoal fire. So that when it came time for forgiveness, his people were able to give it. Wes Franklin, if you're sitting here saying, what must I do? Turn to Jesus and be forgiven of your sins. Those sins that you've committed against him, that's why he went to the cross. He was punished so you wouldn't have to be. And he's defeated it. He's alive. And I just wonder how many of you, Wes Franklin, are able to freely proclaim that forgiveness where God sends you. God gave Peter a spirit-opened door to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. Is that, is that how you operate? Is that how you live? Maybe there's someone that God's put right in front of you that you don't know if you can. Only those who walk in grace can extend it. Oh, and by the way, you do know why a rooster crows in the morning, don't you? Because it's time for the darkness to go away. The light's coming. Jesus, help us.